After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Richard. So that reading is on your leaflets as well, in pretty small writing, but I'll have the key bits on the screen as well. These days, we're bombarded with so much information, aren't we? Loads and loads of information. How can you tell who you should be paying attention to? And how can you tell what is the definitive truth? Anyone who's got anything to do with kids at school or in sports will know about this. And just in life in general, the advice is always, oh, there's an app for that, isn't it? 
So at school, for example, experiences, you know, you can easily find your child's homework on the Bugaboo app. Just download it, and when they've finished it, scan it and upload it. But remember, they need to do that on the Canvas portal, the Canvas app, not the school portal. The school portal is for booking appointments, but not for the school uniform shop. That's on the Itchy Jumper app. Now, remember, lunch orders are through the Beige Food app, not to be confused with recess orders, which you order through a tear-off slip hidden in the bottom of your child's bag. Don't worry, all of this is on our Facebook page, or perhaps it's in an email, or sometimes it'll be one of the three newsletters that you get sent every week, if you subscribe to them on the school bag app for the correct year level. That's not much of an exaggeration, I have to tell you. How can you tell who you should be paying attention to, and how can you tell what is the definitive truth? And that's a trivial example, but what about for really important matters of life and death, matters of how we spend eternity? Uh, lots of people have got lots of ideas about what life is really all about and how to win at life and uh, try to disciple us in those ways, in lots of different ways. So how can you tell who you should be paying attention to? How can you tell what is the definitive truth? In all the information overload and claims to truth in the world, Jesus' resurrection sticks out like a sore thumb. It stands like, like a rescue beacon. In his resurrection, Jesus cuts through all the noise, all the jostling for power and attention and declares victory over sin and death. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's have a look at the eyewitness evidence Matthew has written down for us. But just before we do, if you're not a believer here today or listening to this, the recording this or watching online, I don't want to lose you at resurrection. Because people don't generally rise from the dead, do they? It's a really weird thing to happen, and that's how the Bible treats it. But is it impossible? And if it did actually happen, what sort of evidence would you expect to get from that? Well, I reckon you'd expect exactly the kind of evidence we've got. Now, I'm not going to go into that this morning. Uh, there's this really great book on the table, uh, Is Easter Unbelievable, uh, that makes a better case than I would. Please take one. Have the courage of your convictions and see if this will challenge them. But for now... Even as just a thought experiment, just come along for the ride of considering Jesus rising from the dead. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happened, and then we'll think about what it means for us. We left things on Good Friday with Jesus definitely dead, killed by professional killers. And, and unusually for crucifixion victims, Jesus was buried Oh, we put in a tomb. A rich disciple friend of theirs, Joseph of Arimathea, donated his newly cut tomb. So Jesus' body was wrapped, placed in the tomb, and a, a huge stone that needed a, lot, a few people and ropes and stuff to move it, sealing the entrance. Um, and in anticipation, like Matthew's gospel isn't edited, it includes all the difficult bits as well. So the, a conspiracy of Jesus being resurrected was anticipated by the authorities. And so Pilate's order is followed. Pilate orders, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they did. Now it's the third day. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to look at the tomb. 
Now, these women must be pretty tough cookies, right? Because don't forget, at this point, nearly everyone in Jerusalem is against Jesus. Uh, They'd bayed for his blood. It was dangerous to be associated with him at this point. Yet here they are, in near darkness of dawn, going to grieve. And that grief would be the appropriate response if all the noise and stench and horror of Jesus' death, his betrayal, his rejection, his suffering, if that was the only information to take notice of. There was more information they were missing, but not to worry. They don't need an app to access this information uh, to help them see what's important and what's really true. They get a direct message, a personal message, straight from heaven. Verses 2 to 4. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So here's two rival messages competing for our attention. A powerful angel, as bright as can be described, thumping down to earth with an earthquake, single-handedly flicking this heavy stone out of the way and chilling out, sitting on top of it. In nonchalantly ignoring the rival message, from the authorities that Jesus is dead and he's staying dead and you can't say otherwise. A message now so dead in the water that the guards representing it look literally scared to death. So it's hardly a battle of equals, is it? Just one of God's messengers is so much more powerful than mighty Rome. It reminds me of a story of in um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if you've read that, or one of the, book, one of the three books in the, um, one of the four books in the trilogy. Um, the story goes that inadvertently, right, you just have to use your imagination here, inadvertently, the game of cricket, it offensively mocks a species of alien. So all riled up, this planet of aliens, they put together a powerful, deadly force to come and destroy the Earth in revenge. But in an unfortunate miscalculation of scale, the whole fleet is swallowed by a small dog. Complete mismatch in power. One idea backed by a heavenly being. The other backed by elite guards now peeing their pants. Verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So the angels gently pointing out to them that they shouldn't have been expecting to grieve. There was a key piece of information from Jesus himself that they haven't taken into account. Three times he had predicted he'd be handed over to the religious leaders who would hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged and killed. But he'd also said those three times, on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, if you find that idea hard to believe, um, easy to dismiss and not even hear, well, so did those closest to Jesus and these events. But notice the stone, the stone's rolled away. But no, it's not rolled away to let Jesus out. It's rolled away to let the women in. They're invited to be the witnesses that the tomb is already empty. 
Now, we don't have a description of Jesus' actual resurrection. We don't know how he got out of a tomb that remained sealed all along. But the angel's not interested in that. The angel's only interested in showing off that Jesus isn't in this sealed tomb anymore. And notice he doesn't say, oh, he's, don't worry, he's risen in your hearts or have faith, he's spiritually raised. Or if you really pay attention, you'll find the risen Jesus in your first baby's cries or in the blooming of a flower or anything wishy-washy like that. Now, the resurrection of Jesus calls, as a commentator said, the resurrection calls for the renewal of our minds, not a lobotomy. The angel invites these women to use their senses, to use their brains and their smarts to check out what is really true for themselves. He ain't there because he is risen. He is risen. Three words to cut through all the grief, all the noise, all the alternative messages. And the angel tells them to go and tell the other disciples and meet up in Galilee, as Jesus has arranged before his death. And I love the last line that we hear from the angel. Now I have told you. Now I've told you. That's it. Message delivered. You've heard everything you need to. Verses 8 and 9. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. This is both at the same time so kind of mind-blowingly heavenly, isn't it? And yet so down to earth. Jesus has been raised from death. And what's his first words? Hello. And he's not a ghost. He's not all floaty or translucent like a dead Jedi. The Marys grasp his feet in a place that you could find on a map at a date and time on the calendar in history. He tells them, do not be afraid. He gets that this is totally weird. It's a lot to take in. But it's the work of God who is good. It's good weird. It really is the good news that their joy thinks it is. Jesus is risen. He is alive. So that's the account of what happened. And there's lots of reasons, as I say, to believe this is a reliable account. But if we take it as true... What does Jesus' resurrection mean for us? Well, a few things. First up, it means Jesus is the real deal. It means we now know who to pay attention to, who has got the ultimate truth. There have been already been lots of people turning up around the time of Jesus claiming to be God's true rescuer king, and there have been lots since. But here's the logic, okay? Jesus said he would be raised to life. People don't get raised, don't, aren't raised from the dead, generally, are they? But Jesus did raise from the dead. That means we can trust that he is who he says he is. The son of God, fully human yet fully God. That he, we can trust that he has the power and authority to save us 
like he said he did. See, God always does what he says he will. He always does what he says. If God says it, it's as good as having already happened. And the Bible is full of accounts of people not quite believing that and going the long, painful way around to find out God always fulfills his promises. Well, Jesus' resurrection proves, as God, he keeps his promises, proves he is worth listening to above anyone else, proves he has the truth. So it means Jesus is the real deal. The resurrection also means the cross worked. Jesus' resurrection power proves his work on the cross worked. See, anyone could have turned up, couldn't they? Made a nuisance of themselves enough to get crucified and make grand claims about paying for the sins of the world. But if Jesus had stayed dead, well, then we could reasonably start wondering, did it do what he said it would? Did it work? Were my sins, was the ransom for my sins really all paid in full on the cross? To illustrate, uh, I'm from England, and when we applied for our visa to live in Australia, difficult process, let me tell you, I posted off to immigration. Every, they seem to want every scrap of information about your whole life, inofficial documents, inside leg measurement, everything. Um, you know, do your test, no Don, Bratton, Don Bradman's batting average. All of that chucked in a big manila envelope, sealed up and sent off to immigration. And actually, I forgot to send it registered post. I mean, all, my most, all our most important documents in life at the mercy of international mail. So I spent the next three weeks worrying about it. All the work was done. All the fees were paid. But would it be enough? Jesus being raised proves that the payment he made was accepted by God. He didn't need to stay dead for it to be effective. It's a done deal. The work of winning our forgiveness is finished. And that means that all the noise and chaos and bad information of our sin isn't the message that gets through to God anymore when we trust in Jesus. All the bad messages, however true, aren't what define us anymore. All that's been cancelled, drowned out by Jesus' death and resurrection and replaced by a new message of hope, a message that will stay true and get through for eternity. Forgiven. Forgiven. And we see it put into action, put into practice straight away with how Jesus treats the disciples. Remember these disciples, every single one of them, not just Peter, all of them, had fallen away on Good Friday. They'd all legged it. And even when the resurrected Jesus meets up with them, as he'd arranged before he died, physically in Galilee, verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. Still getting things wrong. Still getting things wrong. And so will we. But Jesus doesn't put them through disciple training camp to see if they'll get better they're forgiven already jesus resurrection has made their failures irrelevant their eternity is all sorted they're free 
we are free to just get on with serving Jesus. Not to get to God, but because in Jesus, God has come to us. So look who gets commissioned. It's a bunch of doubtful, afraid disciples that Jesus commissions to go and tell the whole world about him. It's not some special crack squad of mostly good disciples. It's forgiven sinners like me, like you. All the, def- all the difference the disciples have got over us is that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection also means we don't need a bucket list. If this life is all there is, it, does, it would make sense to try and squeeze as much meaning and significance out of it as we can in the few short years available to us. It would make sense to be self-serving and uh, materialistic if this is all there is. We can live full, great lives doing tremendous good, but somehow the message of our sin, our turning against God and going our own way, always shows up in our lives. And the right and just consequence for that is our death physical death and spiritual death of separation from God. And we give, it, we give death nice names and we tell ourselves stories to soften the blow. But still it comes. But Jesus' resurrection shows us sin and death no longer have to be the last word. In fact, Jesus' resurrection shows, shows us that something else is inevitable. The defeat of all evil Sin and death is definitely going to happen. New life after death. A perfect life in right relationship with God for eternity. In his resurrection, Jesus has given us a sneak preview of the future for anyone who trusts in him. Raised from death, given a renewed body fit for an eternity of joy. And that frees us, that frees us up from trying to binge on all that life has to offer in the here and now before its sell-by date expires. And instead, we can enjoy life freed up to turn all that we do to serve Jesus and his eternal purposes. And that's the most fulfilling life there is. Jesus' resurrection proves he's won and he wants us to share in that victory. So how can you tell who you should be paying attention to? How can you tell who has the definitive truth? You can tell Jesus who you should be listening to, and you can tell Jesus has the ultimate truth because he was raised from the dead. That means he's alive now. You can know him. Uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, but we can know him. He's with us, and we can know him through the Bible because he's alive. And because he's alive, as we read the Bible, Jesus cuts through all the noise and by his spirit brings us the truth about himself through those words that he inspired. God always does what he says he will. Jesus did what he said he would. And that means it's really important, really worthwhile to listen to what he has to say. So keep returning to the Bible his living word, to be reminded and keep trusting in the truth.
if all this is new to you, it's a lot to take in today. And today is really kind of near the end of the story. The thing to do is to do the same thing. Take one of these Gospels account, read it for yourself. Ask God to help you understand it and to speak to you through it in a way that you'll understand. And just see what happens. But there does come a point where the angel could say to you, now I've told you, you have enough information and you have to make a decision about what to do with it. You can't sit on the fence forever. This is like an opt-in deal. And the first thing Jesus preached at the start of this gospel, really simple message, repent. So turn away from sin and living for yourself. And the next thing you said, come, follow me. For all of us, every one of us here today, in all the noise and endless stream of information in life, here's six words of absolute truth we can hang on to, we can trust our lives with. Six words that mean everything is going to be all right. He has risen, just as he said. Sorry, it's seven words. He has risen, just as he said. He has risen, just as he said. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus going through what he did for us. Thank you that we can hang on as concrete, solid ground. He has risen, just as he said. Please help that message never to be drowned out for us by all the other ideas and information thrown at us. Help us fix on that truth and trust in Jesus for eternal life. For your glory. Amen.